upstate area of New York State, and I'm welcoming everybody to the Attorney Wellbeing Podcast. And I am joined today by my co-host, uh, Dr. Carrie O'Hara, clinical psychologist. And our special guest today is Beth Novick, a corporate mindfulness teacher, coach, and massage therapist. So today's episode is entitled The Mindful Minute, Tools and Tips to Add Mindfulness Techniques to Everyday Life. And I'd like to introduce Beth, welcome her to the show, and let her describe her background a little bit as a coach and a mindfulness teacher and workshop leader. Hi, Libby. Thank you. Welcome. Um, yeah, I, uh, I teach corporate wealth, uh, workshops, mostly about stress and well-being, uh, less stress, more joy. That's what it's all about. And I'm also a massage therapist. I have a private practice and I work, uh, I coach individuals, um, again, mostly to do with stress and anxiety. And uh, I also do some corporate coaching and help out uh, in terms of structure and how to organize yourself and your relationships so that they work better and are healthier. Thank you. And I, you know, in looking over your work and, you know, obviously I've known you for a number of years and, and seen your talent in action. Uh, one of the things that strikes me is uh, that corporations, large corporations, uh, hire you to be able to disseminate these types of skills to large groups of people of differing backgrounds and various skill levels, which I think is really impressive. Is that, you know, is, is that what you've been um, sort of, I think, asked to do, right? Yeah, it's really fun. I, uh, you know, I've taught down in North Carolina to Siemens, and I also I got a niche for a while. I was teaching to a lot of bus drivers and bus driver supervisors, and you know, just a lot of of different types of organizations and different types of people, and they're all a blast. You know, one thing you learn is that people are people, you know, that that there's whether they're lawyers or they're bus drivers or they're engineers, um, that we all have our quirks and we all have stress. Well, and I think lawyers, you know, and Carrie in my work as we as we, you know, pop around uh, the state and we, and we talk and we and we lead workshops. One of the things that we know, at least from the clinical research, as well as our own experience is how lawyers particularly um, deal with stress. And I'll let Carrie kind of weigh in that way in, in what we've seen, at least from the clinical perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the most important things that Libby and I have really been honing in on is uh, the culture of law and um, how the actual culture really plays into a lot of um, ways of coping or managing try to train people out of <laughs> you know and I, uh, anecdotally we certainly know um, but from the research that the depression rates uh, substance abuse anxiety rates for lawyers are uh, much higher than other cohorts uh, or other um, professions. So really feeling like um, Beth, your input on this and finding more joy, less stress is absolutely paramount for this, for this podcast. So thank you. So I, I come from a family of lawyers. My brother's a lawyer and my father was a lawyer. Um, and and they, you know, my experience is that they tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, it's, it's high stakes work. Uh, it's, um, 
it's a lot. It's a lot of, there's a lot going on all at once. And often they're not just working on cases or working on the work. They're also managing an office or, you know, dealing with coworkers. And then they have families too. And as we all know, at this moment, when we're all at home, or most of us are at home with our families and trying to work, is that it's hard. It's a lot. And, and when we first uh, had the benefit of talking with you about preparing for this podcast, none of the stay-at-home orders had been issued. And what right. And what we what we um, what we talked about was the limiting beliefs that lawyers have, based upon everything you just said, that I don't have the time for joy or mindfulness or taking care of myself. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, absolutely. So, one of the really the crux of what I teach are these short little snippets of things that you can do to help yourself feel better a little bit. So the, the techniques that I teach in my workshops are really short. I don't have any techniques that are longer than two minutes. Um, these are just things that, that you can do very, very quickly to kind of lower the stress a little bit. So the other night, I was, I was having a little trouble getting to sleep. It had just been one of those stressful days. A lot was going on. Um, I found out a family member was sick. He's doing fine. But it was just one of those stressful days. And I was having a little trouble getting to sleep. And I did this thing that I do, which is that I began to relax my body. Because what we do with our body and what we do with our mind are really linked. So if your mind is going, it's really good to relax your body. So for me, I hold a lot of tension in my back. For you, it might be your jaw or your shoulders or your stomach. Um, for me, for some reason, it's my back. So I went to my back in my imagination and, it, and I began to release it and unwind it. And so it started to release and it started to release and then it kept going and it kept going and it kept going and it kept going. And I was like, holy crap, I am so tense. I had no idea that it had built up that much. So one of the things that I didn't do that day was take those moments in the day to bring it down. And literally, it can take one breath. It can take a moment. And sometimes it's really helpful when you have that kind of mindset where you're like, I don't have time for that. You know, I just, I have way too much to do. My kids are running around. I have, you know, my to-do list is- That's lawyers, my right? Life. Right on. Right. Yep. right that's it. Then often it's really good to link it to something else. So I mean, maybe it's what, maybe it's every time you go to the bathroom, you, I mean, really like something that you're, you have to do every, every day, a certain amount of time. So maybe you go to the bathroom. So I don't know, three or four times a day. Bathrooms are great because often, depending on how old your kids are, you're alone for once. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, you sit down or whatever, you get in the bathroom and maybe that's the time when you take three deep breaths or that's the time where you use a little imagery to calm yourself down. That's the time. Yeah. So making, so making the time doesn't have to be making an hour long sitting practice or an hour yoga class, or any of those, or a, a five-mile run, I think what you're, I'm hearing you say is that there is, if you're conscious about it and intentional, you can actually find small pockets in the day to, to accomplish the same thing. 
Exactly. And I mean, those things are great. I, if you can go exercise now, if you can do any of those right. things, I highly recommend them. But you don't have to. You don't have to go meditate for an hour. You can literally meditate for one minute and it will help you feel better. And if you do that three times a day, which is hmm, three minutes, you're, it's, it will actually change your brain. It really will. Carrie, can you, thank you. Carrie, can you speak to that just a little bit from the, the clinical side? I mean, one of the things that strikes me about what, what Beth is saying is that there's a potential for um, benefits to a lawyer's practice that go well beyond relaxing the body and into being more productive, more creative, a better problem solver from the, the, uh, uh, the mind side. So can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. What happens inside the brain and the body when, when Beth's techniques would be utilized? Absolutely. I mean, I think that um, one of the uh, things we hear a lot about is I don't have the time to do this or you know, as Beth was saying, and I, I need to be productive. And just to flip everybody's thinking on that from a neuroscientific perspective, from all research points to the fact that we are more in, in tune with our frontal lobes, we problem solve better, we are better thinkers, we are less distractible level of stress. If you take care of yourself through you know, meditation, through taking deep breaths, relaxation strategies, you will actually perform better as a lawyer. Um, so to really understand the concept of sort of giving to get uh, and working smarter, not harder, um, in a way that's gonna be productive um, is great. And to Beth's point, um, we often hear, I don't have time as in, uh, cognitive behavioral, dialectical behavioral therapy, we would label as like a, a help reject or a treatment interfering kind of thought. It keeps us from engaging in what would be um, healthy and productive. And um, my guess is now, Libby, from what you and I are hearing from the lawyer group is part of the stress is I'm used to being busy and I'm not busy right now. So this is actually the perfect time um, to develop healthier habits and people do have the time it's just an uncomfortable space I think for people which is the perfect transition into what um, we thought we were going to ask Beth to talk about but now making it relevant to the place where most of us find ourselves which is originally the conversation was the work to home transition and using those types of of times in the day to really um, bring yourself down or, or make that transition mindfully. But now so many people find themselves not in transition, actually more um, in the same environment all the time, which, which, is, which as you just mentioned, Carrie, is its own stress. So, so Beth, given the fact that we, um, many of us find ourselves in a different situation, how would we make mindful transitions um, in this particular environment? Well, you know, I don't think it's that we're not transitioning at all. I think it's that we're transitioning more often. It's, you know, we're on a conference call like this and all of a sudden our kid, you know, falls and we have to kind of, you know, we have to go to that and then come right back and then oh, we have to make lunch and then come right back. So in a way, it's actually we're making a lot more transitions and we're feeling, we may feel like we're being interrupted all the time. So maybe we feel like we're being interrupted from work by our family 
or maybe we feel like we're being interrupted from our family by work. Um, and, and actually what the key is, is to, first of all, cut ourselves some slack at this time. I mean, this is crazy what's happening right now. It's now, I mean, this is nuts. So first of all, just like let go. You're not going to be as professional as you were. You're not going to, if it's not going to be perfect, let go of perfect and it's fine. You know, and if somebody has a problem with it, that's their problem because this is crazy. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, relationships are tough. My, my 16 year old, who's very um, aware and very mindful, he looked at me the other day, he said, mom, everything you say, you've said to me in the last half hour, I find annoying. And I was like, well, yeah, you do. You're 16 and you're with me all the time. Of course you find me annoying. I've, <laughs> I've gotten under your skin. <laughs> it would be weird if you didn't. Right. And trust me, it's going the other way too a little bit. <laughs> sure. I'm sure every parent is echoing that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But to, to actually take those moments, part of the trick is keeping our sense of humor, first of all. Second of all, here's one thing that I have done for years is I have a practice of actually smiling at people when I see them. So, um, so I've done this with my husband for years. Like it used to be, you know, because I often work from home um, unless I'm out teaching somewhere. And then and so I'm often home when he comes home and I have a practice where when he comes home, I, sm I stop what I'm doing, I smile at him and I kiss it. I say, hi, honey, welcome home. It's really good to see you. And it's a practice. And I've done it even if I don't actually kind of feel that way, I, I do it anyway because it's a practice and then it builds. Right. <laughs> right. And so what, you know, one thing that might be really helpful is that even in these little transitions to do that. So when your kid does walk in the room, instead of being like, oh, I'm trying to work, look at them, smile, say, hi, honey, and then go to the next thing. And it's like, okay, look, here we are at this moment. And even with your work, you know, it, it, we're so starved for social contact right now that, that I've, I do feel it. If I'm talking to someone on the phone or, or Zooming, it's like, I just like, hi, it's great to see you. You know, there's a real authenticity to it um, that maybe we took for granted before. I think That's so true. Go ahead, Carrie. Sorry, go ahead, Carrie. I was just going to say that, um, uh, again, neuroscience, all research-based practices, um, the acting as if actually works, and it's actually scientific. Um, we can... Uh, act opposite to what emotional experiencing we're having. So if I'm feeling really grumpy and I actually smile and act as if I'm very happy, it actually tunes into the emotional center of your brain and sends cues that can shift emotion. Same is true for smiling. Um, in cognitive behavioral therapy, we often teach people to smile because the actual muscle engagement triggers that in our brain. So it's not gonna flip you to the other end of the continuum, but it absolutely can provide some of that, that pull that you need. So some of that sounds like, we talked about this Beth, the three areas that were important were routine, which is finding those places in the day, the mindset or intention, which is the behavior, and then practicing, right? So 
Go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, the, as Carrie said, the, the practice of what you do, you know, we get better at what we practice, whether it's piano or golf or sitting on the couch watching TV or smiling at people, we actually get better at it. It grooves into our brain. We have neuroplasticity. Our brain is always changing and it changes. It gets really good at the things that we do a lot of. So when you actually have a practice of being happy or a practice of smiling, which does um, give happy chemicals into our body. Oh, and the other thing about smiling that I have noticed is that it's really hard not to smile back at someone who's smiling at you. So when, I feel like this is the butterfly effect. Like this is how we're going to have world peace is that we're, if we, if you smile, if you have a practice of smiling at people, then they smile back at you and then they get a little happier and then they smile at other people. And pretty soon we're good. Like, that's it. We're all happy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I think that part of it is the, the acting as if, um, meaning that that there is so many opportunities and I'll just speak as the lawyer here for just a minute for my colleagues that there is such an unrelenting amount of pressure right now and that pressure could be work that pressure could be family that pressure could be a lack of work um, an unknown future job security um, dealing with colleagues under stress those are the some of the things that Carrie and I have been hearing all through the last three weeks as we've run the well-being roundtable where lawyers call in with what they're experiencing. So no matter where you find um, the compression point, which is, feels like a compression point, um, you are not alone. We are all experiencing that type of compression. And so the idea is to say that the acting as if there isn't that level of compression, isn't a denial, right, Carrie, of it. It is, right. you know, and I'll let Beth, you and Beth speak to that. I'm just teeing up what I yeah. think would be on my mind if I were listening to this podcast as an attorney. Yeah, so, absolutely. Go, go ahead. ahead, Carrie. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say from a, a psychological vantage point, um, you absolutely have to validate uh, the reality of your experiencing. So it is not a denial or sugarcoating over. It's recognizing that all those stressors, Libby, you just mentioned are things that a lot of times we don't have a whole lot of control over right now. Uh, and so it's a refocusing on what is the only thing I can do in this moment that will help me take the next best step. You know, even if it means not blowing up at my kids, like how can I make that happen? Um, so it's doing it very mindfully with intention. And as uh, Beth was just saying, it's a strategy that you employ and you know you're doing it and you're doing it for, for these reasons. I think it's very, I think it's very important to uh, acknowledge how we're feeling, but to work on not getting sucked in by it. So the, I call it, there's a practice called how curious, which is really a mindfulness practice where you just admit, you, you say, huh, I'm feeling anxious. How curious. 
where, or, wow, I'm really mad right now. How curious. Where it enables you to not be like, ah, you know, you're kind of inside this fishbowl of anger and rage. You just, you actually are able to step out of it and observe yourself and how you're feeling. And it allows you a little bit of wiggle room where you're still, you're acknowledging it. You're still feeling it. You're like, I'm a little down today. Okay, that's interesting. That's curious huh, maybe I'll call my friend who always cheers me up. Or, you know, we can ask ourselves these questions. So another technique that I like to teach is asking questions because we have an automatic uh, instinct to answer questions that are placed for us. Um, it's just something we can't help it. So statements, we tend to push back, you know, nobody likes to get told what to do. So if you're like, you know, you should really like, everyone's like, ugh, don't tell me what to do. But if you ask a question, um, and even myself, like I hate when I'm like, oh, Beth, you should really clean the kitchen. I'm like, F you, Beth, don't tell me what, like, even if I'm talking to myself, I don't like it. <laughs> exactly. But, but so true. You, right? Yes. But if you, if you pose it as a question, if you're like, huh, what if I cleaned the kitchen today? Or what would it feel like if I, to have a clean kitchen? Or, huh, I could, you know, if I ch you change the should to a could, that's another technique. Instead mm -hmm. of saying, no, you should clean the kitchen today. You said, I could clean the kitchen today. And when you make that switch, it's like an acknowledgement that it's, it's a choice. You can, you can choose to clean the kitchen or you could choose to not clean the kitchen and either one is fine. Um, but that, again, it sort of separates so that, that how, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling great. I wonder how I could feel better. So again, when you're, when you're strategizing, boy, I'm, I'm really stressed out right now. Oh, that's awful. You can ask yourself a, a really nice, kind, open question of just like, hmm, what could I do right now to help me feel better? I find, I'll just say as a, <clears throat> for myself personally, I do find that asking myself my personal question, and again, uh, this is just me alone, is um, what is the thing I most need right now? What is the thing that I most need in this moment? Um, it might be a walk outside. It might be to um, take a break and go sit with my kids. You know, it might be yelling F at the top of my lungs uh, <laughs> or my kids are around, but just, you know, what is that emotional release? Um, you know, but, but really, as you said, you know, staying deeply curious about myself is a mindfulness practice. Um, to my mind because it keeps me in the moment and it keeps me in a dialogue with myself um, that is healthy, open, and non-attached. Right? I mean, you, you think? Yeah, that's a great, I love that question. Um, yeah. What do I most need right now? And, right. and we can, and that might be your question or that might be, um, you know, it might be, that's kind of a big question too. It might just be like, well, what would help me feel a little bit better right now? There you go. Or right. what would, you know, it's not, sometimes we're, we'll dismiss, we'll be like, oh, I, you know, I, I can't clean that because if I clean that, then I have to clean everything, you know, and I'm not going to, I don't have time to clean everything. So I'm not going to clean that. You know, we, we do these things all the time where we tend to be perfectionists or we're, you know, it's all or nothing. And it, it's not, you know, you might not have days where you're feeling incredible joy and love all day long. You know, that's, that's pretty rare. But I believe that there is always something you could do to make yourself feel a little bit better than you feel right now. So with that, 
you know, so with that, we talked about um, three things that we wanted to, uh, tools that we, we already talked about a bunch, but just so that we talk about how we start our day was the conversation about a morning intention. And I know that may have switched dramatically from talked back in March to where we are now. So, you know, in light of where we find ourselves as a country, especially those of us in New York, um, what would you think about helping folks set a morning intention? So it, it's still applicable. So um, that, that it, a really good practice, and you could do it right now, is to think about what a, what a great day looks like. And that might have changed a lot since COVID hit um, of what a great day, but it doesn't matter. It's the, these days, what does a great day look like? So, so you can do this. You can imagine that you're going to bed at night and you look back on your day and you think that was a great day. That was just, that was a great day. And in thinking about that, think about what that, what happened in that day. Think about that day. What did that day include? What was that day like? How did you feel that day? Well, how were the transitions? So think about that great day. And now you know your great day. So what you can do is you can actually, I call these morning questions because we are so, um, instinctual at answering questions, our subconscious automatically just leaps to an answer, is that you can actually set up a morning question for yourself where you think about that great day and you, in the morning you set, up, you set it up as a question. And it might be something like, how can I get work done, spend really quality time with my family and take care of myself today? And you may not actually get a conscious answer. It may just be that you spend the day looking for the answer to that question. And, you know, we tend to find what we're looking for, right? I mean, if you, we know this. If you're looking for, you know, who are the mean people in the room, you're going to find them. If you're looking for what's beautiful around you, you're going to see that. That's how our mind works. We tend to find what we're looking for. And so when you set up a really good morning question, you tend to find the answer because you, you're looking for it. You ask yourself the question, how can I have a great day today? So you could even, if you're thinking about it right now, if you're listening to this, you can actually jot, just jot it down. I like to jot things down on sticky notes and put them on my bathroom mirror mm -hmm. to remind just, you know, or, or on my, like my lamp or something that you are going to see right, you know, in the morning, every morning to remind yourself, oh yeah, morning question. And then, you know, again, I'm, apparently I'm like a bathroom person, right? So, you know, in the shower, you can ask yourself your morning question or in the bathroom. Right. That is great. I, I you know, Beth, I, um, from the, from a psychologist vantage point, um, you know, one of the things I try to get people to become aware of is that we all have something called mood dependent or state dependent memory and thinking. So if we are experiencing depression, only a memory or something that happened today, they're going to have a tendency of picking out the things that are congruent with their mood, the things that were stressful, the things that were frustrating and so on. And it sort of underscores and just, you know, explodes that emotion even bigger. So 
doing those kind of practices is, is truly turning our mind into a different neural pathway, um, which you have to do with intention and purpose. So one thing I really um, sort of gear people away from when they're very depressed or highly anxious is a whole lot of unstructured journaling because they tend to underscore everything that will validate the mood and sync. So um, definitely important to acknowledge it. But then as you said, those kind of structured questions to turn the mind into something that will be about gratitude or creating that day. So that's, that's definitely a CBT kind of thing too, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just like the, the power of having a gratefulness practice where you, um, a gratefulness practice might, and Carrie, you might, uh, there's a lot of variations. You might have some too, which is basically just journaling what three things or five things before you go to bed that you're grateful for from your day. And then the next night doing it again um, with different things so that you're, it, so again, you're looking for this answer. If you know that you're, you have to write down five things you're grateful for tonight, then you're going to look for them during the day, right? And again, it really does retrain your brain. I mean, the studies on this are very clear that when we have a gratefulness practice or when we're looking for what's good, we're looking for what we're grateful for, we tend to find it and we tend to get better at finding it because we get better at what we practice. So if your tendency is to be somewhat negative, and, and a lot of times it just, it's not your fault, it's, you know, it's how you were raised, it's, it's the way your brain runs, um, Maybe but you're not stuck in it. <laughs> yeah, right, and being a lawyer, I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, you know, it's I mean, a there's lot a John, there's what's a, wrong. <clears throat> there's a Johns Hopkins study, I think from the 90s, that found that, that lawyers are the only profession that doesn't that that, that doesn't uh, have a hopeful future. It's the only pessimistic profession, um, and that there's a lot of reasons for that. It's it's not to pick on lawyers. Um, you know, part of the lawyer training is to be able to prognosticate or predict negative outcomes and then prevent them from happening to the client. So they are. It's baked into our cake to be what we what we consider. I think sort of with air quotes negative. When in reality, it's. Um, it's using the power of the imagination, the creative power of the imagination to think of outcomes that we'd rather prevent. So I wanna say that too, that, that lawyers oftentimes, I think, uh, myself personally, I can speak for, are trying to fight that training as well. And so what I'm hearing you both say is that we can bookend the day, starting with intention and purpose and asking ourselves morning questions, and then a gratitude practice at the end of the day for perhaps the answers that appeared to those questions or other things that were the happy benefit of the day, both of which help to uh, create the new neural pathways that allow for mood, mood shift. Is that, do I, did I summarize that? Yeah, that's really good. And then also to add in, not, you know, this, and again, it's not a lot. This doesn't take a lot of time. This takes like, everything we've talked about takes like three minutes. Um, but to also add in, you know, a few times during the day to allow yourself to calm down. So whether that's three, three deep well, that breaths. Yeah. Let me just, let me just, just interrupt for a second. So this is the intermittent practice. This is what you would recommend um, for those little transitions during the day. I just want to make sure that, 
okay, so this is how we would release midday so that we don't have the incident like you had where the back needs long release breaths. Okay, just making sure. Exactly, because, you know, stress builds up. So it's, you know, and you want to kind of release velvet a few times a day so that it doesn't get way over the top. Right. Because we know, we know, I always feel like stress is like a, it's like a measuring cup and there's a line and we know where that line is. Like there's a line where we're, if we're over that line, we are, we're not okay. You know, we're overwhelmed. We're short tempered. We're like everything, every little thing is way too much. And so we want to keep a little buffer. Like we want to be below that line and we want to be enough below that line that we have some, you know, that if something stressful happens, like we don't, just constantly go over that line. So you want to release some of that stress in the middle of the day so that it doesn't get, you know, you're not always right at that line, that you have some resiliency and some buffer. So short practices like deep breaths, um, I'm, I'm very much, we tend to, the, we respond really well to imagery. So I'm a big imagery person. Um, so if you, you know, imagine I have a, a great image of the breath as a wave, um, and then when you breathe in, the wave comes up over your head and it gathers everything. And then on the exhale, uh, it just drops everything down to the pelvis. And then it takes a few times, just like a regular wave would clear the beach, you know, that you breathe in and the wave comes over your head, it gathers everything. And then on the exhale, just drops everything down to the pelvis. And even if you did that five times? Three times. Three, Three to times. five times. Sure. Okay. I mean, one time will help. Three to five times, you'll feel way better. <laughs> so a few times of that during the day, mindfully, consciously releasing uh, the buildup in our cup to avoid yeah. another spill will help, and I think, also a lot of the parents out there, I know myself included. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's really hard to remember to do this. So a really good trick is to attach it to something that we do already. So, you know, that's why I mentioned the bathroom, like the bathroom is something that we tend to do already. It's something that's going to happen during the day, at least a few times during the day. Um, sometimes it's, you know, at a red light, not that we're driving very much these days, or some, t you know, if there's a transition time, if there's a time where you take pills during the day, you could link this to that time. So a really good way to start a new habit is to attach it to a habit or something that you already do or that you already have. And then you remember to do it. Because if you just say, oh, I'm just going to remember to do that, you're not. You're not yeah. going to, you know, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> so yeah. the way to, to form new habits, new patterns or to remember, and you can use your technology, you know, you can set an alarm for three times a day. Um, but it's, sometimes it's tricky because you're in the middle of something, you know, you don't want to just stop to take some deep breaths. If you're on a conference call, you know, it's not going to happen. But if you're in the bathroom or you're taking your pills or you're eating, you know, but maybe it's before you eat, uh, you take, you know, you do these three ocean breaths. So you link it to something that you already do, and that's really helpful. Mine is letting the dog out, just so you know. There you go. Perfect. Because I have to wait for him because he's 15. Yes. So you it's going to it's gonna take the old guy a little, t little bit of time. A little time. We <laughs> our time together. <laughs> you know, Beth, I, I, um, I so appreciate what you're, what you're saying and, and uh, you know, breath practice is so important on so many levels. And a lot of times what I 
hear from people when I talk about this is how is that going to help me with this insurmountable stuff I'm going through? Like, how does that help? The reality is that it's science. Again, you know, not to keep bringing back to that, but, but just for anybody out there who may be thinking like, oh, this is like, you know, stuff that's not really going to work. Reality is it does work because anxiety and stress is truly our sympathetic nervous system being kicked into overdrive. So we are in fight or flight or freeze mode, which cuts off our frontal lobes and creates the feeling of stress and releases way overload of stress hormones. So the way in which to have a direct access to kick into gear or to activate your parasympathetic nervous system is through your breath. And so if we can get people to deep breathe, essentially what you are doing is activating the parasympathetic nervous system to reduce those stress hormones and to impact your heart rate, et cetera, all the things that we experience when we're anxious. So uh, it actually is the easiest and most effective way to reduce stress hormones. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That It's actually, um, I read that it's, it's physiologically, it's impossible to actually take a deep breath and not have it trigger the parasympathetic nervous system. So it just, it does, because the nerve is right there, right, right where your diaphragm is. So it literally releases, you know, it's like, it, it has to. And it's part of why when we're really stressed, we can't take deep breaths. Like there's a time, you know, when you're, when you're hyperventilating, you know, when you're super, super stressed, like, you, and there are some people with, you know, some people I've worked with, with PTSD, who really have, you know, serious uh, anxiety disorders. And I remember once I was thinking about this and I, I asked one of them, I was like, so what if I asked you to take a deep breath right now? And she was like, ha, not going to happen. And I said, I know, you know, it's not going to happen because she, she can't like, it's too, she, she can't because it's too far from where she is. Like it, it has to be a little, you have to kind of get there. Um, and, and so, you know, for, for some people like it's, but if you can take a deep breath, it will be relaxing. It can't not be. So I think the <clears throat> the big the big piece here that Carrie and I talk about, um, even on our when we're out uh, working with lawyers in in workshops and in teaching, is that these are evidence based techniques. They are they are studied. They are um, thirty years ago we might have thought that they sounded um, aspirational or ungrounded. Uh, that's the last. Woo -woo. <laughs> that's my word. Woo -woo. Yeah, and it's just not accurate. So, um, right, Carrie, I mean, I think that's a fair statement that these are evidence-based uh, techniques inside the physiological. Absolutely. Things. Yeah. So with that, Absolutely. I know. <laughs> so we wanted to, um, I'll just summarize quickly what I, what I think we heard today. And I want to say, you know, thank you to everyone. So um, we, we talked uh, about um, that we can still maintain a routine. We can bookend the day with morning questions and and gratitude practice, as well as take time attached to perhaps another habit to begin the process of mindfully breathing deep ocean breaths or whatever works for, for you um, three to five times a day in under three minutes. And that's why I think the mindful minute with Beth is so amazingly useful because some of that limiting belief has to be that I have to be in a sitting practice or a yoga class for an hour, and that's not necessarily true. 
So that's why I wanted to invite Beth on. I thank you so very much for your wisdom and your candor and your humor. We all need it right now. And I also yeah. want to say thank you to Dr. Kerry O'Hara um, for her wisdom and her talent and for always being uh, willing to jump into the deep end with me. So any final thoughts? But I do want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you. This has been really fun. Uh, I wish everyone good health and lots of joy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Beth. All right. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time.